We are continuing a little mini-series that we started last week uh, called A Time to Mourn and A Time to Dance. And uh, be turning, if you will, to our master text in the book of Matthew, chapter 6. And while you're turning there, I just want to say that last week we looked at a passage in Ecclesiastes. That was our master text last week uh, that uh, tells us that there's a time and a place for everything. There's a season for everything. And in the context of this teaching this morning, there's a time to mourn and there's a time to dance. So again, there's a time and season for everything under the sun. We also talked about last week that Jesus taught us in his Sermon on the Mount that there are three very basic expectations of the Christ follower. So uh, I want to revisit that and look at those three basic expectations again in the book of Matthew, chapter 6, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Uh, so we'll get to that in just a moment, but I want to say another word or two just uh, preemptively before we read that. And I want to say that today we're going to talk again about the very fun topic of fasting. Yay, woohoo! <laughs> because, you know, most of our church society in the West, our modern day church society, fasting is a totally foreign subject. A totally foreign subject. It was a very common practice in decades prior to now. And of course, in the Bible, it was a very common practice. But for us today, it's become a very foreign concept. So I want us to have a firm grasp on the subject of fasting prior to our annual church fast come January the 3rd. So with that said, let's read this master text in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, the words of the master Jesus. Stand and honor the reading of the word, if you will. And we're going to jump around a little bit here. We're going to read the first uh, seven verses. So in verse 1 it says, Be careful, Jesus says, not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they have their reward in full, meaning that the admiration of other people is all the reward they're ever going to get. Okay, that's what that means. God will not reward them if that's their motive. Verse 3, but when you give to the needy, do not let your, hand, your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is, in, who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father in heaven knows what you need before you ask Him. Let's jump down to verse 16. 
Now, all of this is important, but just for the context of the teaching this morning, I want to jump down to verse 16, where it mentions fasting. Verse 16, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men their fasting. I tell you the truth, they have their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting, but only to your father who is unseen and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And all God's people say, amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Praise God. All right. In Ecclesiastes 4.12, and we'll get to the master text that we just read in a moment, but before we do that, I want to mention that in Ecclesiastes 4.12, it says that uh, three strands are not easily broken. Three strands are not easily broken. And while that passage doesn't specifically pertain to fasting, I think that we can still make some application here because the combination of giving, prayer, And fasting, like we looked at in that master text just now, the combination of all three provides strength, favor, and wisdom in your life that many people don't have because they don't practice these things, you see. So, once again, as you see on the screen there, the the giving and the praying and the fasting is that three-chord strand that gives us that strength and that wisdom Uh, that a lot of people don't have that don't practice those things. And I want you to notice that in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he didn't say, if you give, if you pray, if you fast. He said, when you do these things, because they are basic expectations of the Christ follower. We should be practicing these things in our spiritual disciplines to draw closer to the Lord and to be more fruitful in our lives in Christ. Now, these, again, are some of the basics, the basic spiritual disciplines. So I want to talk about the importance of mastering the basics for just a moment. And I want to refer back again to somebody I've talked about before on this point, and uh, that's Coach John Wooden, the Wooden Principle. Now, those of you that may have followed college basketball, especially back when he was coaching, he's still considered to this day to be the most successful college basketball coach of all time. And he emphasized mastering the basics. When his players wanted to go up and do a 360 dunk in practice, he said, no, 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 we're going to practice layups. Layups? Yeah, we're going to practice passing drills. Passing drills? I've been doing that since I was a, you know, in, in elementary school basketball. Now, we're going to practice free throws. Free throws, but that was his emphasis, is mastering the basics. So mastering the basics positions you for success. Now, how successful was John Wooden in uh, promoting the idea of mastering the basics and not necessarily the flashiness of college basketball? Well, let's look at his resume for a moment. He won 10 national championships over a period of 12 years with UCLA. That's unheard of. Nobody's even ever touched that. He won seven national championships in a row. And by the way, I should mention that he coached for many years without a championship, but he just kept at it, which is another principle of success. 
He just kept at it. And eventually, it all paid off for him. So seven national championships in a row, three undefeated seasons, and an amazing .04 winning percentage. Still, no coach today has even ever approached that kind of success. And, you know, let me now apply that to our spiritual lives. You know, many people are looking for some deeper revelation from God, but they haven't even mastered the basics yet. I know some people, for example, who are looking to be leaders in the church, but they can't even make it to church on time the one or two times per month they attend. So, uh, folks, you have to walk before you can run. Amen? So don't ask God for a platform ministry if you aren't even being faithful to the little things that people can't see. See, that's the basics. Now, can I level with you about something? I, as a leader, look for faithfulness in the little things as well before I trust people with greater responsibilities. I mean, that's just good administrative sense, wouldn't you say? See, the people I trust in this church the most who are the ones who I can count on to be here week after week and Sunday after Sunday. And when I see that happening, I know that I can start leaning on those individuals eventually for greater responsibilities in the church and in the kingdom. Let me give you another example. Should I trust someone in marriage counseling ministry, for example, if they're ready to get divorced from their third spouse? No, no, no. Now, and why is that? Because they obviously haven't figured out the marriage thing yet, right? So why would I trust them in that ministry for other people's marriages? Okay? I'm going to trust people in marriage counseling ministry who have been married for 30 years and been through some stuff and made it out successfully. Praise God. And God is the same way, folks. In God's system, you won't have to promote yourself because if you're faithful in the little private things like prayer and fasting, God will promote you in time, in the right season. He will make sure you get noticed in just the right time, just the right season. So, I want to emphasize this morning that fasting has always been a fundamental part of seeking God. A fundamental part of seeking God. You know, fasting is, uh, was a common practice among the apostles in the first century church, which provides an example to all other believers all down through time. See, every notable man and woman of the faith throughout history until the present day was and is a person of prayer and fasting. Let me give you a few examples out of the scriptures. In Daniel 9.3, this is Daniel writing here. He said, so I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. In Acts uh, chapter 2, verses 37 and 38, says, and since we're in the Christmas season right now, there's a little bit of a, uh, a Christmas slant on this. 
Uh, there was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped day and night, fasting and praying. And of course, she was one of the two people that got to hold the baby Messiah. And the Holy Spirit revealed to her that this is the one, uh, her and, and someone called Simeon. Uh, because she, was, she devoted her life to prayer and fasting and being in the temple, her eyes got to gaze upon Emmanuel, God with us, before she left this earth. What a blessing. And then in Acts chapter 14, Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. So they wouldn't even appoint anyone to leadership until they prayed and fasted first. So this was a very, very important part of the patriarchs of the faith, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Okay, so again, every notable man and woman of the faith throughout church history has been a man and woman of prayer and fasting. And we should be that as well. I want to give you some quotes by uh, a young pastor that I really like, David Platt. And he says this about fasting. In fasting, what we are saying is that more than we enjoy food, we enjoy God. Fasting is feasting on fellowship with God. Don't you like that? And then he also says, our relationship with God in prayer should look like a consuming addiction in our lives, not a convenient addition to our lives. And folks, I think that's how a lot of the American church culture lives their lives. They want God to be a convenient addition to their lives rather than a consuming passion. Amen. Amen. God wants to be the central part of your life, not the periphery. The, the way that we're supposed to approach God in our relationship with him is that he is the centrality of our lives, not out on the periphery. Oh, God, you know, I'll uh, just, I'll pray to you and ask you to get involved in my life when I need you. Otherwise, I'm just going to go off and do my own thing. I'll go to church to appease my conscience and then pray to, for you to intervene in my life when I have a real problem. That's not the way we're supposed to live our Christian lives. God is supposed to be the consuming force of our lives, not a convenient addition to our lives. Praise God. David Platt goes on to say, God delights in revealing himself to those who are bold enough to bother him. Amen. Amen. We talked about that in a previous teaching about just boldness in prayer, tenacity in prayer. Yeah, amen. Let me transition to another thought here. Um, you know, the kingdom of God works like agriculture. And that's why Jesus used so many agricultural analogies in his parables. So very often then, the results of your efforts with prayer and fasting and giving, what have you, uh, the results of that will come later. Because it's a sowing and reaping process. It's like agriculture. You plant the seed in the ground, you wait for a while, and then it starts to come, come back in a harvest later on. 
So the, the kingdom of God works exactly the same way. So fasting then releases the principle in Matthew 6.33 where Jesus said, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these monetary things that we're so concerned about, you know, shelter and food and clothing and what have you. If we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, all these other things that you're concerned about will be added to you. And you don't have to scratch and claw and bite and cheat and finagle your way to get those things. God will provide them for you. If you seek his kingdom and his righteousness first, you put his business first and then he puts your business first. He'll get involved in your business if you get involved in his business. Praise God. Now, by the way, in that passage, Matthew 6.33, um, that word first there is the Greek word proton. And it means before or at the beginning. For or at the beginning. So the benefits of fasting will more likely occur throughout the year because you consecrated yourself, you see, at the first part of the year. See, that's also the principle of corporate worship, by the way, meeting on the first day of the week. You're per putting God first on the first day of the week. Um, throughout Scripture, folks, listen, throughout Scripture, God has always demanded the first portion. Whether it was an offering of wheat or an offering of cattle, God requires that he be put first. That he be put first before anything else. And then when you do that, then he blesses the rest. He blesses the rest. So that's the same principle, by the way, with tithing. You put God first and he blesses the rest. We're to put God first before anything else. And that's why I've always been so devoted to my church attendance, by the way, even long before I became a pastor, because I don't want to miss out on any blessings or fail to put God first in any area of my life. Praise God. And the same principle can also apply to setting aside the first part of your week and the first part of your year for prayer and fasting. Because you're practicing putting God first in everything. Now, by the way, I need to qualify something. There's no verse in the Bible that says that you have to fast at the start of every week or the start of every year. There's no verse in the Bible that says that. But it does say to fast. And it also says to put God first. Okay, so for me, I just like the idea of, of saying, in, in essence, Lord... You are my source of everything. And I, I want your blessing on my life. I want your blessing and favor on my life. So I'm going to devote the first part of my week to you in prayer and fasting. So my practice has been every Monday, um, I devote that day to fasting. And I'm going to devote the first part of my year to you in prayer and fasting as well, an extended time of prayer and fasting at the beginning of the, of the year. And even beyond that, folks, fasting should actually be a lifestyle, a lifestyle that you do from time to time as one of your regular spiritual disciplines, because this is what Jesus modeled for us. Now, once again, it's not a, a, about earning brownie points with God. This is not about legalistically trying to earn some brownie points with God. It's not what this is about. But folks, I've learned that experiencing some of the deeper things of God and being used of Him in a more profound way is usually 
going to cost us something. Salvation is a free gift by faith. It happens just like that, just by faith. But experiencing some of the deeper things of God beyond that is often going to cost us something. See, if you know someone, for example, who's really gifted and really anointed in uh, the prophetic, as an example, God didn't just zap that person with a magic wand against their will, right? No, Uh, it's because that person probably contended in prayer and fasting for that thing. And there are some things, by the way, that can't be accessed any other way. I'm going to say that again. There are some things, the deeper things of God, that can't be accessed any other way except through prayer and fasting. So when we set aside our usual indulgences and our usual recreation and food indulgences to seek God in fasting and prayer with the first part of our week and the first part of the year... Well, we release that principle in Matthew 6.33 that when we seek God first and His righteousness and His kingdom, then He responds by taking care of the things that we are concerned about. Praise God. But we have to be patient with the process, folks, because uh, sowing and reaping is just that. It's a process. Sowing and reaping is a process. You might write that down. So since sowing and reaping is a process, we have to understand that we may not see immediate results from fasting. It's sowing and reaping. The kernel has to be planted in the ground, and then it has to germinate and grow, and that takes some time. So it may not be until the end of the year, actually, that you really see your harvest come in. But please be patient because it is coming in one way or another. I want to refer back again to this book that I recommended last week, Fasting by Jensen Franklin. If you don't have that book and you haven't read it, I highly recommend it as we prepare to go into our 12-day fast at uh, the start of the new year, January 3rd, because it will encourage you and strengthen you to, to see that process through. So I want to read to you an excerpt out of Jensen Franklin's book. And by the way, I want to mention, Jensen Franklin's church does a three-week fast, 21 days, at the start of each year. Now, ours is only 12 days. And the way that I kind of approach it is that we fast for one day for each month of the coming year. Now, Jensen Franklin and his church, they model a Daniel fast, which was 21 days. And you can't argue with the results. Look at some of the results on the screen. This is an excerpt out of the book. He writes, It was around Thanksgiving when I got a call to the bank. When I arrived, a man and his wife met me and said, Here is a million dollars for the building program. Yeah. He says, I had forgotten about the fast we had done 10 months earlier, 10 months prior, but God hadn't. (laughs) He not only sent someone to us with a $1 million gift, but also someone with a $500,000 gift, a $250,000 gift, and cumulative millions that came in regular gifts in that same year because of their bulldog-determined level of prayer and fasting. And God wants to bless each and every one of you in a very similar way with whatever needs that you have. 
What is it that you want from God? You might want to commit it to prayer and fasting. If you don't see the answer to your prayer come in right away, maybe God's calling you out into the deeper waters of prayer and fasting. On that note, I want to talk to you about another concept that's related here that the Bible calls standing in the gap. And I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what I mean by that in just a moment as we read the scripture I'm about to read. But before we read that, I want to tell you that a couple of weeks ago, I told you about a couple of men in the Bible, Abraham and Isaac, who petitioned God on behalf of other people who were in sin. And the book of Ezekiel says that God looks for those kinds of people, people who will petition him and stand in the gap, so to speak, on behalf of other people. So let me read you that passage where that term standing in the gap appears so we understand the context and what this means. Ezekiel 22, verses 39 through 41 says, and this is God speaking through the prophet Ezekiel. He says, the people of the land practice extortion and commit robbery. They oppress the poor and needy and mistreat the foreigner, denying them justice. I looked for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it, but I found no one. So I will pour out my wrath on them and consume them with my fiery anger, bringing down on their own heads all that they have done, declares the sovereign Lord. There's some things I want you to see about that passage. First of all, notice that God is a God of judgment just as much as he is a God of love. Our culture these days likes to, likes to say, oh, God is a God of love and not ever talk about his other side. That he is a just God and he's a God of judgment. So notice in this passage, he prefers love. He looks for people to stand in the gap and intercede for the nation and for the people so that he wouldn't have to destroy it. He looks for people like that. But he's also perfectly just. And if you can't find anyone like that, then eventually there are certain people and places and nations that he has to pass down judgment on because he is perfectly just. And notice, however, thirdly, that he responds to the prayers of people, of his people, for people and nations. See, in our case, ladies and gentlemen, God is looking for people to stand in the gap and pray for this nation so he won't have to bring judgment. And he's looking for people who will stand in the gap for individuals as well. So... When year after year drags by and your loved ones don't seem to be budging in terms of their spiritual conditions, maybe it's time to stand in the gap, so to speak, and add fasting to your prayers for those individuals. Maybe it's time to get bulldog determined in your prayers by setting aside your usual indulgences for a time uh, so that you can seek God more intensely with prayer and fasting. You know, recently I was persecuted by an extended family member who I shared the gospel with. And uh, the reaction was very hurtful to me, but I did as Jesus commanded because 
Jesus said to pray for those who persecute you. And that's what I did. So as I was praying for this person, after that horrible reaction that I got and being called everything in the book and accused of all kinds of horrible things, just because I cared for this person and wanted to share the gospel and I didn't want to see any harm come to this person, the reaction I got was just nothing short of demonic. <laughs> but, th- but hey, you, know, you need, to, need to come to expect that. From time to time, that sort of thing's going to happen. We just need to develop some thicker skin and realize that when we share the gospel, there's going to be people that respond and there's going to be some, be some people that lash out. And that's what happened with this person. That, and that reaction was very hurtful. But I went to prayer about this person. And the Lord spoke something very profound to my heart while I was praying for this person that kind of brought that whole scenario into perspective for me. And the Lord reminded me that this person had a concerned mother who prayed for her when she was still alive. But now that mother is in heaven and uh, those prayers are no longer being offered. So... I believe the Lord was showing me, is there anyone now in this person's life who will stand in the gap? Does this person have anyone who's offering up prayers to God for this person's salvation now? And I felt like the Lord was saying to me, son, will you be that person? Can I count on you to continue what this person's mother did? when she was still alive, by standing in the gap? Are you able to overlook the offense and be my servant who will commit to praying for this person? And God may be saying something similar to you today regarding someone in your life. Can he count on you to be the person who stands in the gap for someone else, even if that person has persecuted you or offended you? Because the Bible does tell us to pray for those who persecute us. Can he count on you to be the person that stands in the gap for someone else, just as someone stood in the gap for you? The reason, one of the reasons why you are in the faith today is because you probably had a praying mother or a grandmother or someone in your life who would not leave God alone about you and stood in the gap for you. And that's why you're here today. Praise God. Another principle I want to share with you this morning is that fasting also sets the stage for revival, not only personal revival, but also national revival. And I want to talk specifically about the national revival here for a moment by borrowing from the scriptures. In the book of Joel, chapter 2, verse 28, it says, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. And your young men shall see visions. See, God was going to pour out revival and reveal his will afterward. Afterward? After what? After a fast. Because Israel was in sin at this particular time in their history. And God was calling them through the prophet Joel 
God was calling them to repentance through fasting. God was calling them to repentance through fasting. So in verse 15, uh, it says, Blow the trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, call a sacred assembly. So God was calling them together for prayer and, and repentance through fasting. Through fasting. So that is one way we express our repentance can be through fasting. That's another application of it. In 2 Chronicles 7, 14, we reference this a lot, especially in this day and age where uh, we want God to intervene in our nation. And we quote this regarding uh, the prayers of God's people. But I want you to notice something about this passage that you may have overlooked. It says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves... We we skip over that one a lot. Will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and heal their land. Folks, fasting is one of the ways that we humble ourselves. Fasting is one of the ways that we, we humble ourselves. It's one of the ways that we seek God's face as we see there as well. Hallelujah. Now, again, I've already made this point, but you can write this down. Fasting is a way that we humble ourselves, thus setting the stage for revival and answered prayer. If we want to see revival in this nation, we do have to act and be the hands and feet of Jesus and be involved in some activism and some uh, political processes that we may not have ever wanted to bother with before. But if we want to see God's kingdom advancing in the earth, it needs to be in every aspect of society, including politics. Including politics. It's fine, folks, for you to go out and vote. And that's a very important thing that you can do. But a lot of people just say, oh, I voted. Boom, it's done. That's my responsibility. Well, where has that gotten us? Especially when there's all this election fraud going on. A lot of your votes don't even count anymore. So there has to be some degree of activism that, that we, we make a difference when we do that. But folks, listen, as I said last week, activism and action without prayer and fasting will only go so far. Because God wants us to humble ourselves, seek his face, turn from our wicked ways and pray. And then he will hear from heaven and forgive our sins and heal our land. I'm telling you, if enough people got that revelation, if enough Christians got that revelation, we would totally transform this nation. But so far, it's only been a handful of people that even understand that concept. If that would be widespread, I'm telling you, it'd be no time at all. God would mobilize the the armies of heaven and we would transform this nation. But we have to get on board. We have to get on board with humbling ourselves Praying, seeking God's face, and, yes, turning from our wicked ways, even in the church. People in the church won't give up their wicked ways. God says, give up. He's talking to religious people here who are rebelling against him. Leave your wicked ways. If you do these things, if you'll... If we'll call to his name, if we'll humble ourselves, pray and seek his face, seek him with all of your heart, 
Turn from your wicked ways. Then, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sins and heal their land. Hallelujah. So I think that as we endeavor to go into our first of the year fast, one of the things that you really need to have as an emphasis in your prayer and fasting is our nation. Now, certainly include <clears throat> some, um, some personal issues. If, you're, if there's something that you want on a personal level from God, include that in your fast as well. You need to have a prayer and fasting focus when you go into prayer and fasting and not just do it willy-nilly because this is some religious thing that I do. Just yet another religious thing that I do to check another religious box. That's not the purpose for fasting. It's to position yourself with the heart of God. Okay? Praise the Lord. So I want to give you some tips about fasting here as we come down home stretch. Some tips about fasting. Firstly, don't advertise it. Don't advertise your prayer and fasting. Uh, this is taken from Matthew chapter 6 and then our master text that we just read. So let's reread that. When you fast, do not, uh, do not be somber like the hypocrites. Let me pause right there. If you embark upon your prayer and fasting and on purpose uh, present yourself like, oh my gosh, I feel miserable. <laughs> oh, what's wrong? Oh, I'm fasting. Don't do that. Because if that's the way you do it, that's the only reward you're ever going to get. So that's what hypocrites do. Who just want to show people how spiritual they are. Okay? Don't do it that way. When you fast, do not be somber like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces to show men they are fasting. Do you know what that means? Disfigure their faces? It means rather than having a happy countenance, you walk around like this. Uh, I feel miserable. What's wrong? You got the flu? No, I'm fasting. Yeah, don't, don't do that. Okay? Now, now, by the way, if someone asks you, if you sit down for a, a company meal or something and you've got a little bowl of chicken broth in front of you and everybody else is feasting, and somebody says, oh, are you okay? Why aren't you... Why aren't you eating with the rest of us? It's okay to say, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just fasting for a while. Um, I'm not sick. I'm okay. It's okay if somebody just puts you on the spot and asks you about it. It's okay to be honest with them. Don't lie, for Pete's sake. Okay? <laughs> Don't lie. <laughs> just, you can, it's okay to say, I'm fasting at the moment. It's okay. But just, the point is, don't go out there and advertise your fasting. That's the point. Okay, truly I tell you, people that fast like that, disfiguring their faces, etc., they already have their full reward. Once again, how you impress other people is all the reward you will ever going to get, and that's very fleeting and short-lived. You want to get rewarded by God because he really knows how to reward you. Okay, verse 17, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that your fasting will not be obvious to men, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Did you know there are rewards for doing these things? God will reward you. Praise God. So that's the first principle of fasting I want you to notice. 
Uh, the second one is don't be in conflict with anyone during your fast. Now, I mentioned last week that when you fast, it's a little bit more difficult because the first few days of that, your body starts to rebel and every little thing starts to get on your last nerve. So be very careful. Be on guard against that. If you have to separate from certain family members for a while and, and, and move to a different part of your house, okay, do whatever you have to do. If somebody's getting on your nerves, go to a different room and, and pray. Read the Bible or something. <laughs> and Matt says, or get a hotel room. <laughs> well, I think the point is to be able to overcome those tendencies of the flesh. So, uh, yeah, but I get what you're saying. So don't be in conflict, uh, conflict with anyone during your fast. I'm going to reference Isaiah 58, which is a fasting chapter, by the way. Verses 3 through 4 says this. Um, the Israelites are asking here, why have we fasted, Lord, and you've not taken notice? And he's answering them here. So verse 3, why have we fasted and you have not seen? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? And then God responds, behold, on the day of your fast, you do as you please, and you oppress all your workers. You fast with contention and strife to strike viciously with your fist. You cannot fast as you do today, and have your voice be heard on high. So the way that you fast and the motives behind your fasting and the way that you behave during your fast has everything to do with what kind of results that you're going to get with your fast. Don't just do it as some religious exercise and then go off and do whatever you want. That's not the way that fasting is supposed to be approached. Third principle here and, and tips about fasting is to give even more during your fast. Remember the three-chord strand? Prayer, fasting, and giving. Prayer, fasting, and giving. Okay? That's that three-chord strand that's not easily broken. Uh, also, in referencing Isaiah 58, verse 6, uh, God also responds to the people by saying, Isn't this the fast that I have chosen? to break the chains of wickedness, to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and tear off every yoke. Isn't it to share your bread with the hungry, to bring the poor and homeless into your home, to clothe the naked when you see him, and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? So that's what God wants us to be doing, is rather than being so self-focused when we fast, become more and more others-focused. See, you're saving some money on food when you fast. Why don't you take some of that money that you're saving and give it to somebody who's in need? And we have the opportunity right now, even before our fast begins, to help the people in need in Kentucky who have lost homes and, and lost loved ones and lost everything. We have the opportunity to do as this says and to share our bread with the hungry, to bring the poor and homeless into your home, to clothe the naked when you see him, and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. That's what God wants. All right, here's my last point right here. The results of this, again, borrowing from Isaiah 58, God makes a wonderful promise when we fast that way. He says, then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will come quickly. That's a great promise. Your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. 
Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry out and he will say, here I am. If you remove the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and malicious talk, and if you give yourself to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light will go forth in the darkness and your night will be like the noonday. The Lord will always guide you. He will satisfy you in a sun-scorched land and strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden like a spring whose waters never fail. Now, I love God's imagery because what this says to us in, in, in our economy, in our environment, is that regardless of what's going on around us with the economy, if we give ourselves to the hungry, if we fast like God has described here, he will respond by allowing us to be satisfied in even a bad economy, in a sun-scorched land, and strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Yeah, hallelujah. I just feel like reading that whole thing again. Are you okay with that? I just want, you, I want to get that in you because there's so many promises in that one short passage. Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing, your physical and emotional healing will appear someday, maybe if I'm in a good mood, will quickly appear. Your righteousness will go before you. What's that mean? People will notice your good deeds. People will notice that the hand and favor of God is upon you, that you're a righteous person. Your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry out and he will say, here I am. If you remove the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and malicious talk. Ooh, that's important too. I didn't really emphasize that, did I? If you remove the yoke from your midst, the pointing finger and malicious talk. Don't be talking about people and roasting people during your fast. Don't be slandering and gossiping about people during your fast. Zip your lip, okay? Make everything that comes out of your mouth gracious. We ought to be doing that anyway, but especially during a fast. Let's look, look at it again. If you remove the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and the malicious talk, and if you give yourself to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul. These people in Kentucky are afflicted right now. And if you give yourself to the hungry and to satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light will go forth in the darkness and your night will be like noonday. Mm, what's that mean? Even when there's darkness all around you, even when there's turmoil all around you, for you, it'll be like Goshen in the days of Moses in Egypt. You know, I usually like, you remember that story that, that there was a time when in Egypt it was total, total darkness and in Goshen there was light. And I always like to have fun with that scenario and go, I wonder what it would, it would have been like to be on the border of Goshen and Egypt. Like darkness, light, darkness. Light, you know, right? It's, it, it's kind of like that. Even in darkness, your light 
will break forth like the dawn. Isn't that a great promise? So you ought to go to Isaiah 58 and just read that a few times, and that will inspire you in your fasting as well. Praise the Lord. So our fasting needs to become a lifestyle, folks, not just once or twice throughout the year, although God will honor that too. But it needs to become a lifestyle as well. Hallelujah. Well, praise God. Let's stand and pray. Praise God. Again, I'm just trying to get you geared up, trying to get your mind, your heart, your spirit ready for uh, what your body won't like very well, but your spirit will love it. Okay? You may not be uh, all rejoicing during the fast, but afterwards, you know, I think that you will be rejoicing, especially throughout the year. You see some of the results come in of that. Hallelujah. Let's pray. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Andy Robbins and Blessed Life Fellowship. For more teaching and ministry resources, go to the church website at www.blessedlifefellowship.org. Thanks for listening, and may God's grace and favor shine on you.